0: Good morning, good evening, good
1: afternoon. Whenever you may be listening to this show, welcome to today's episode of the Rebel Health Coach Podcast. My guest is Jennifer Savage. Jennifer is a Doctor of Traditional Naturopathy and a Functional Medicine Practitioner. For the last eight years, Jennifer's functional approach to health begins in teaching her clients about the root cause of dysfunction and guiding them to incorporate lifestyle changes that will in turn support improved function with our bodies. Today, we are going to be going over functional lab work as opposed to pathological or conventional lab work. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Rebel Health Coach podcast, Jennifer Savage. How are you today?
2: I'm great, Tom. Thanks for inviting me on.
1: Oh, absolutely. Thanks for joining me. This is a topic that I have... Uh, been wanting to do for a long time and I just haven't got around to it. And then after reviewing a lot of blood work, the first part of the year about patient labs and other labs. And I was like, I got to do a podcast on this because I get the same answer every time I ask the person, every time they send me their labs. Well, my doctor said I was normal.
2: <laughs> uh-huh, that's a frequent uh, occurrence in my own practice. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so basically you and I both know lab work is always just a single set of information from a single point in time. It really never gives us a complete picture of everything that's happening in our bodies. It's just the clues. It's just clues that are, we're looking at. So Exactly. What exactly is blood chemistry testing?
2: Well, blood chemistry testing is a way to measure the different chemicals in the body. And that would be things like enzymes, electrolytes, lipids or fats, um, hormones, proteins, different levels of the nutrients that we require to have our body run properly. Okay. So, and then when we look at the testing, uh, they are recorded in values that we see in different levels in the body. And these values uh, utilize a reference range to determine if they're in a certain position.
1: Okay. Now, you and I both also know there's two points of view on, on lab work, on blood chemistry tests. Mm-hmm. We have the yeah. functional medicine or functional blood chemistry analysis, or, or the functional view of it. We also have the allopathic or pathological blood analysis that the conventional medicine uses as a model. What is the difference between or the functional blood chemistry analysis and the pathological blood analysis?
2: Well, they, they do have two different, uh, uses and, and both are actually very important, very critical, you know, for determining the health of an individual. So conventional medicine relies on blood chemistry testing for diagnosis and to determine if there's disease present in the body. Functional medicine, on the other hand, is looking, uh, to use lab testing just to view imbalances that are in the body. So, because functional medicine relies on supporting the body as a whole, these imbalances can show us different areas of the body that really do need to be supported at that time.
1: Okay, and we all so let's let's before we dive into this next question, what is the difference between normal levels and optimal ranges?
2: Well, this is all going back to the reference range. So, to truly understand, um, you know, what a normal level is. Um, We're relying on the reference ranges that each of the labs assigns uh, to these blood chemistry test results. And they're going to be, um, you know, ranges based on population. Optima ranges, on the other hand, are, again, uh, based on functional medicine principles that we're, you know, we're trying to optimize health. So we're looking for uh, these levels that are in a really good position that would be representative of a healthy individual. And and that's really the difference between the two. And it's a strong difference. I mean, it's it's completely uh, the difference between is there an imbalance or as you said early on, just being sent home and being told that your blood work is normal because it does fall within a normal range.
1: Why don't most allopathic physicians or your primary care physician provi- or your healthcare care provider embrace these functional ranges or the optimal range?
2: Well, again, we have to go right back to the reason that they use them to begin with. Um, they are looking for disease. They are looking to make a diagnosis. So if these uh, blood levels don't fall outside of the normal reference ranges, then it's basically there's nothing to see here. You know, so that's why um, they can overlook that. Functional ranges, uh, on the other hand, we're not looking for disease, and I want to be really clear about that. In functional medicine, we're not looking uh, to treat or diagnose, but it's understanding these imbalances in the patterns that we can see in those optimum levels. So these levels are going to be a lot tighter than a normal reference range, a lot uh, many times closer together.
1: Okay, let's let me let's go to the, this. Is a question I get asked a lot also in my practice? Is where do they where do they come up with these reference ranges?
2: Well, that's a really good question. Uh, you know, I spent a lot of time investigating that because I have to explain it to my clients. And basically, these labs, individual labs such as LabCorp or Quest, or even the private labs that you might use with your doctor, um, they calculate these reference ranges based on about 95% of their population, you know, that, that go to that lab. And this 95% is uh, what they consider, and I'm using air quotes here, apparently healthy people. So they're trying to utilize this reference range to say, okay, this is the, the healthy range, you know, that we're looking for. And so they, they're using this subset of lab clients. But when you think about this, people who go have their blood drawn, they're not going there uh, for any other reason than because they're sick or they're ill, or their doctor you know has advised them to go have their blood drawn uh, so that they can read this. So if the greater amount of sick people are going to have their blood drawn than healthy people, then surely... In, in that subset of people that are uh, being used you know, to generate these reference ranges, there's going to be a nominal amount of sick people also registering within this range. And that's what we have to take into consideration. So we wanna base uh, functional ranges on healthy people only. And that way we know that when our clients are working to improve their health, and they're trying to understand their health by reading these these uh, lab test results, that they can you know feel very comfortable about getting into a healthy optimum range.
1: All right, so reference ranges. Now, this 95% of these calculated ranges, are they Southern, are they whole United States or are they different areas of the, of the United States, like Southeast, North? West Coast, East Coast, is this a whole broad spectrum of of the United States?
2: Well, it is going to be filled with um, many different places, many demographics, uh, even ages. And so all of that has to be taken into consideration as well.
1: So if we have somebody from down south who drinks a lot of sweet tea, the reference ranges for uh, glucose or A1C are going to be higher.
2: Very possibly they can, yes.
1: All right, Jennifer, let's dive into the functional side of this part. What we see when we look at labs is that we're really not diagnosing disease. We're looking for patterns or looking for things that alert us that there is something going on in the body, right?
2: Mm -hmm, Exactly.
1: So what are some of the typical blood work ran in conventional medicine?
2: Um, some of the blood tests that we normally see uh, would be a complete uh, blood count, which is called a CBC. I look for one with a differential. Uh, then there's a second one called a, a comprehensive metabolic panel or a CMP. We see, uh, at least I see most of my clients have lipids panel run, which is the cholesterol panel. Uh, they might also get iron um specifically iron or ferritin in there, or um, have a partial thyroid panel done is what I normally see.
1: What's the difference between a partial thyroid panel and a full thyroid panel?
2: Well, many times in conventional medicine, they really just want to test the TSH, the thyroid stimulating hormone. And That doesn't really tell us a lot about what's actually happening with the thyroid. It's a marker. It has relevance, um, but it is just one piece of the thyroid puzzle. So we really need to see a few few more markers in there as well.
1: Okay. So what is TSH showing us?
2: Well, it's showing us more about the messages that the pituitary is sending out. And that's exactly... Um, what hormones are. They're just little messengers. So by testing uh, different thyroid markers, we're getting to see what the conversation is. And if we have all the markers, we get to see the whole conversation and to see if these messages are all getting delivered properly. With uh, only one marker, you're missing all the other sides of the conversation. And it's a a clue, but it's a very, very small clue.
1: So it's like just a... Bite into a candy bar, basically.
2: Exactly. And you only get one bite. <laughs> you don't get to finish it.
1: Yeah. It's teasing <laughs> <laughs>
2: So
1: what are some of the markers? And, and I, I know a few of them myself. But what are some of the markers that doctors don't normally want that provide a great deal of information?
2: You know, when you you back up to what we were saying earlier, uh, looking at just a reference range where doctors are using this as a way to uh, lead to like a diagnosis or disease treatment. From a functional standpoint, we are looking for clues. We are looking for patterns where we can take more than one marker and put it together and have it make sense. Have it um, help us to understand where dysfunction or imbalance might be in the body so in order to do that there are markers that I personally like to see and those markers one would be Crp which is c reactive protein we don't see that very often um, you know run in a standard uh, blood test by the
1: doctor I have not, but- I have never seen that I yeah. when clients send me blood work I've never seen a crp on there mm-hmm
2: Yeah. And that really, I mean, it's a general level of inflammation, but it gives us an idea of whether inflammation is in the body or not. And so that just helps guide us along. Right. Another one would be uh, GGT. Um, That is an enzyme that it's produced in a lot of different places in the body, but we use it as uh, generally a liver marker. Now, it's interesting um, because this marker, if it's high, then we know that this is reflective of something happening in in the liver, around the liver. But if it's low, it doesn't represent the liver. It represents more of a nutritional insufficiency to me, specifically B6. And so, again, having that uh, on the testing just adds to this big picture. Of you know what we're seeing when we're looking at this health picture of the client. Um, another one is insulin. Insulin, I've never seen it on a test. Uh, you know, just run. I see glucose, uh, but that's about it. But insulin gives us a lot of background into what's happening from a glucose dysregulation point of view, and. Uh, just like needing all the thyroid markers, we need that that insulin marker to correlate with the glucose marker. And then another marker would be the hemoglobin A1C marker. So those three make a nice little picture about what is really happening with blood sugar and it helps us to understand that better.
1: Okay, another thing that I, I want to mention about the GGT, first of all, I'm going to probably butcher this, but matter of fact, I'm going to let you try and butcher (laughs) it. What does GGT stand for?
2: It's gamma glutamyl transferase. Oh,
1: good for you. I was like, every time I have to say that word, I'm like, it's interesting though, when my mother, my my mother's been in and out of the hospital recently, and my sister has been having some issues also. I said, have the doctor run a GGT. Because there's some issues in her liver area mm-hmm. and th- the honest the answer that she gave me was they wanted to know she was at the doctor's in front of the and she texted me and he wants to know what a GGT is <laughs> and yes. I'm like I, I said I said you might want to leave that doctor and find another one
2: yeah, not a popular marker
1: no but with <laughs> somebody with with a not so good lipid panel, that's a very important marker for us to look at.
2: Mm-hmm, it is. It is. But again, you know, doctors are relying uh, conventionally on this telling them, is there going to be disease? Does disease show up? Does um, a diagnosis for a disease show up? And because that's not the way we work. I mean, our roles are completely different. And that's why the GGT is so common to people who practice functional medicine. Not so much in the conventional medicine world because of the two different uses and two different roles.
1: Exactly. You know, same thing with A1C insulin and glucose. You know, very rarely will you see an A1, a hemoglobin A1C on somebody's labs. Not very yes. often.
2: Yes, that is very rare.
1: And that's a very important marker because glucose is what's happening in your blood sugar levels at that point in time, correct?
2: Exactly. And, and then, A1C gives ahead. us a much broader view. Um, it follows the life of the red blood cell. The red blood cell uh, lasts between 90 and 120 days. And uh, glycation or sticky coating builds up on those cells. So we're able to tell uh, from the A1C basically about any type of sugar dysregulation that might have existed over the last three months.
1: Exactly. So if if a like I've looked at one a lab, somebody else's lab work a couple days weeks ago, and is he went in for a fasting blood work. So at that point in time, his glucose was low because he was fasting. So I don't. So I didn't have A1C or insulin, and was like, okay, I want. There's something else going on here that I'm not seeing. So I said, can you go to the back, you know, I sent him to my lab company that I use and said, go get an A1C for me. And sure enough, it came back. He was a diabetic.
2: Oh, absolutely. And see, this is the value of being able to explore patterns. You know, again, even though we're not looking for a diagnosis. We can see um, a lot of dysfunction. Right. And you know, if it's if it's something that needs to be addressed by a doctor, we're able to say to our clients, hey, n- you need to talk to your doctor about this. You need to bring this up. So
1: exactly. And I think what what people out there listening need to know is this is your body. And these are your labs for that body you live in. You need to ask. For these, some of these markers we're mentioning, and ask them to be run. You're paying for it anyway, ultimately. So, like A1C for sure. I don't. If you're doing a fasting blood work, there's no reason not to run A1C.
2: I absolutely agree with you. And all of these, whether the the doctor knows about them or not, they are common markers. Right. In blood drawing. So.
1: So if you're fill, if you're sitting there filling up tubes, you may as well. Get these you may as well withdraw these markers from the blood that you're giving you know
2: absolutely yeah I encourage my clients to get as many markers as they possibly can a lot of them work through their doctors and I just provide them a list you know of what I'd like to see and um, honestly for most of them uh, their doctors are very accommodating uh, so they will try and help them get whatever markers they can.
1: I've run into the situation, as with my sister, when I told her to get a GGT, they wouldn't do it. They, they said no.
2: Yeah, in some cases, I think there's a lot of bureaucracy that prevents um, doctors from being able to fulfill certain types of requests. Uh, whether it's through them, through the lab, through the insurance company, there's usually uh, you know, a reason that they have for not being able to do it.
1: Exactly. I agree with you 100%. And, and lab or insurance companies, even though you, you're you paying for it ultimately, uh, they just, some of those, and also the doctors don't know, how. a lot of people don't know how to code for these, but that's just an yes. excuse in my opinion. Uh, let's go back to C-reactive protein because a lot of people uh, don't understand what that is.
2: Well, C-reactive protein comes in two forms. It, it can be a standard C-reactive protein, or it can be what they call an HS CRP, which is a high-sensitivity CRP. And that is going to be a much tighter, smaller range um, that is more reflective of heart health than just a regular CRP, which is just, as I mentioned earlier, just standard uh, inflammation markers.
1: Let's go a little deeper now. Let's do a red let's talk about red blood cells for a minute and the values okay. opposed to serum level.
2: Okay. So some people have heard of RBC values, red blood cell values. And one of the main things that we want to see from a blood chemistry test is what level do you have in your body of nutrients, vitamins, minerals, you know, how how are those levels because all of these things are uh, necessary for you to actually have optimum health. So if you have insufficiencies uh, of these nutrients in your body, that's going to be a big clue why you might not be feeling so well. So we can utilize uh, red blood cell testing um, for a lot of different minerals that um, this tells us if they're actually in the cell or if they're in the serum in the blood. and. Being in the blood obviously doesn't tell us if it's in the cell and working for you. And that's an important piece of the picture. So um, when possible, um, I like to have my clients get as many RBC values uh, as they possibly can.
1: I was thinking about uh, when you're talking there about another marker that we don't see a lot of and that would come in here, into play here is magnesium.
2: A lot
1: of doctors don't run magnesium.
2: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And that's specifically one that we would really want to see on an RBC value. Uh, I do see it on blood on occasion, but again, that's just a serum value. So I really don't know if it's in the cell or if it's just kind of hanging out there. Exactly. And, you know, the thing about the RBC value is just. As we spoke earlier about the A1C, we're talking about red blood cells here. So they have a a life, you know, a three to four month time frame. And so we're really getting an optimum view of um, these levels that are in that particular body over the course of time. So using RBC really does provide us, uh, you know, a good average over that uh, three to four month time frame.
1: Why should we consider blood testing, and how often do you recommend you get it done?
2: Well, I have a strong passion about using blood testing. Uh, one of the reasons is because you know we don't have to be biologists or or any special uh, scientist to understand these basic markers. Um, the information I'm sharing with you today didn't come from me. I didn't make it up. You know, I use a resource, uh, Dr. Dickon Weatherby, um, and, you know, he as a doctor, plus many other doctors um, have given information that have set this in place to understand the functional values, you know, and the optimal values that we're looking for. And so I get really impassioned about people being able to empower themselves and understand their own health. And there's a lot of people out there that want to understand, you know, what these symptoms that they are having, what do they mean? Why do they have them? And I feel like a lot of people are kept in the dark. And I don't think it's intentional. And and I don't necessarily believe um, that it's meant to happen this way. But this is how things have been done for so long. So you go to the doctor. They look at these. Um, normal reference ranges. They say you don't have a disease, so there is no diagnosis. You're fine. Go home. But you're sending that person home, the person who says, hey, I don't feel good. I, I have achy joints. I have an upset stomach all the time. I have headaches frequently. So the blood test didn't say anything to the doctor. On the other hand, when we're dealing with functional medicine, where these clues that we talk about, these imbalances that we talk about can be subtle. And that's why we want to see these optimum values. And in turn, you know, I want every single person out there who wants to take part in their healthcare that wants to understand it better, that wants to take advantage of the tools that we have. Um, I want them to be able to do that. This is what I teach my clients. My clients come to me, and when they leave me, they have these tools. They know how to use them. They know how to keep themselves healthy. So that's why I suggest that anybody who is really interested in taking care of their health, get a blood test done and learn how to read it.
1: Okay. Okay. And where that's, that brings me up, where where should people go to learn how to learn more about their blood?
2: Well, they can learn um, from the same resource that I do, um, and, and again, that's you know, digging Weatherby, Doctor Weatherby has um, at least one book that I know out that deals with understanding blood chemistry ranges and markers. So. Uh, it's a slight investment, but this book tells you everything you want to know about the markers um, that we're talking about today, and plus some that we aren't, and explaining what they mean, explaining what the patterns can show you. Um, this is not any type of, and it, it shouldn't be perceived as any type of hidden information or right. information that's only privy to physicians or, or licensed professionals, because right. that's not the case. Right. Um, there's a lot of valuable information that the everyday person can completely understand. Um, and my, I got to tell you, my clients are actually a little bit surprised that there's not more to it. They see it and they're like, oh, well, I get that. I can understand that. It makes sense. So,
1: Yeah. the <laughs> One one of the markers that I a lot of people ask me about because they... It doesn't quite make sense to them is the EGFR African American and EGFR non African American. They're like, what are, what are these? What are these values? Can't, can't <laughs> the doctor see I'm not an African American?
2: <laughs> well, and of course, you know the values are going to take into consideration uh, the specifics, right. including you know like the demographics that we talked about before.
1: Well, so, for the listeners. Let's go in. what is the G E G F R used for?
2: Well, EGFR is reflective of kidneys. Right. So we're looking, oh, and I, I want to say something
1: before okay. I go on Absolutely. with that thought. Absolutely.
2: Um, we're talking about individual markers here because we're trying to educate the listeners right. about the different markers. But we never look at one marker to mean anything very specific. Or significant. You know, in, in the world of functional medicine, we're always looking at these patterns, and it's always going to be more than one marker that is coming together to, to lean us one way or another about things that we might see. And, uh, you know, as the case with EGFR, um, that is going to be just one marker in several. That might lead us to believe maybe there's a little issue there. Um, I remember early on in my practice, I, I had a client that sent me her blood work from her doctor, and I picked out all these markers that appeared to be especially low. And I got worried, and I called her and I said, Hey, I'm concerned, and I'm not a doctor, and I can't diagnose. But my responsibility to you is to tell you if I see something that I find a bit concerning. And so sure enough, she assured me that she would go back to the doctor the next day, and she did. And they were concerned. Okay, so if you are looking at individual markers you might not see anything that raises a red flag but when you put them all together it might draw this picture that says hey you need a little support here in your body and you know that's exactly what happened with her so all right coming back to the eGFR um now this is what they call a uh, glomerular filtration rate and it does use four different things. It uh, uses age, uses creatinine levels, it uses gender, and it uses race to determine uh, kidney functions. So that's why there's two separate markers on there, because we have to encompass those four variables.
1: Exactly, and, and, and it's a really good for for us as, as functional medicine coaches that to look at, because it tells us a little bit about what's going on in your kidneys, right? Mm-hmm.
2: It does. And and it could also be nothing. Right. And that's the value of pulling all these markers together into a big picture.
1: Well, this is like a, putting these markers together is like putting a puzzle together.
2: It is. It is. And you know, you mentioned early on in this program that they're just a picture in time. And that's very true. If you're a little dehydrated and you didn't drink some water before you went in to have your blood drawn, then you might have several markers that we might consider a little bit out of balance. But it could be something as simple as dehydration.
1: Exactly. And it's something that we, you know, it's, it's like I said, if you, go get, if you go in fasting, your glucose might be low. If, but if you don't check your A1C, you're not going to find out where your sugar levels should mean, if you have some kind of diet. Of course, there's other markers in there that will show us they're leading towards being diabetic. It could be in the pre-diabetic area. But if A1C really helps us see, look, I mean, it really helps us evaluate where you are.
2: Well, it can. I've seen some that provided uh, a really good resource because it seemed like it didn't fit in with the pattern. So that also gave us clues into how quickly or how slowly these red blood cells were turning over. Right. So again, it might not fit perfectly into the pattern to use the three, but it is going to be significant um, when it stands out by itself. It it doesn't make any sense, right? And it it just leads you to another place to investigate.
1: Let's go back to TSH or yeah, thyroid panel and TSH. What are some of the markers you like to see? Uh, for thyroid health.
2: Well, I like to see them all. Uh, <laughs> there's there's ten markers, and right. uh, I do use um, a testing facility that I'm really happy with, and they capture all of them. So, uh-huh. um, that's always a good place. But just to uh, cover the the very basics, we want to see TSH. We want to see free. T three free T four and reverse T three that can you know give us some clue as to what's happening there, which actually leads us to other clues within the body.
1: All right, let's talk about where where services are available to request your own labs.
2: Well, the one that I like um, absolutely the most, because in all honesty, functional medicine is very new and upcoming, but it is also being paid out of pocket. So my clients, uh, you know, I'm I'm looking to help them get the most benefit at the least cost. So I found this lab, this is run by a doctor, uh, put together by a doctor, and he's acting as an intermediary between uh, the client and LabCorp. And he was able uh, to get some great pricing. And so this is a lab that I speak very highly of, and it's called BLTSystem.com. And that's, yes, that's like Bacon, Lettuce, Tomatasystem.com. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you this is open to the public. Uh, you go there, you get the best price. And... Um, we, you know, we talked about a CBC with a differential and a CMP, and you can get both of those, which has many markers on there 25 markers or so and you can get them for right around $25 total. You know, so that is an extremely cost effective way to keep track of what's going on in your health two to four times a year. You know, you can test and, and keep tracking this. <laughs> um, there is another one uh, as well, and they have great customer service. And that's mymedlab.com. Yep. I and use that quite frequently. Yeah. So there's there's so many resources online now. Um, people can just look up, you know, direct labs. I think that's another one. I'm comfortable, you know, with the one that I use. But I think that it's important that your listeners know that they do have the freedom to go get their own lab testing and it gets sent right to them it doesn't go to their doctor it goes right to them and they can then take it into their doctor so
1: and now for some general housekeeping first things first if you enjoyed this episode please take a minute go into your app and rate and review this show then share it with your friends this would mean the world to me next up To join my mailing list for newsletters and other emails, text RHCP, Rebel Health Coach Podcast, RHCP to 22828. Again, text RHCP to 22828. I promise not to send you endless emails. Believe me. Who has the time for that now to grab a free 20 minute consultation with me, go to my website and on the homepage at the bottom is a red button that says book now, click it and schedule your consultation with me. I will have you fill out an intake form so that during our consultation, we can discuss what I can do for you and also see if we are a good fit to work together. You can find the link in the show notes also. Thank you and enjoy the rest of the episode. I'm, I'm on the BLT system website right now. Uh-huh. And this is not a, a good price. For it a is. comprehensive lab panel, which includes almost everything we're talking about in today's show, 72 markers is 199 dollars
2: yes the only thing i have to add in to that one is insulin that's it covers everything else
1: it's it's crazy hmm because i mean for the for the listeners i don't know what you I, I don't i don't have health insurance i have catastrophic health insurance so something really bad happens but so i always pay out of pocket for my labs by myself mm-hmm and my doctors, I think the last time I had a lab panel last year, before I found out I can run my own, or when, since I you know, got my certification, and I can run my own labs. I, I was astonished the price difference. Ch- different. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, 199 bucks for a complete lab panel. You can do that four times a year.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, mean,
1: and I, I try and run lab. my labs every six months, personally.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I do as well.
1: Uh, but that's a that's a good price. I'm, I'm going put the link for this in the show notes for sure. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, never heard of that one before.
2: Yeah, he's been around for about two years.
1: Awesome! Congrats! Thanks for turning me on to that one. Sure. All right, let's uh, let's talk about tips for blood draw and testing. What should people do to plan for your blood draw?
2: Well, when you're utilizing this lab testing uh, for tracking and for analyzing what's happening with your health, you want to keep it very similar. Um, So, you want to try and plan your blood draw at the same time each day, each time that you test. So, if you normally get up at 7 and and you're at the blood draw facility at 8 a.m., the next time you have blood drawn, do that again. Be there at 8 a.m., it will make a difference. Your blood chemistry does change throughout the day. And what you're trying to do is compare apples to apples. And, uh, you know, if you do a fasting test, then keep the rest of your test fasting. Um, Fasting is going to be necessary for things like a glucose panel, uh, insulin, hemoglobin A1C, any type of cholesterol panel. If there are other labs that your doctor is requesting, uh, or or allowing you to order, then you can also, um, you know, you might need to fast for those. Um, The other thing is, there's a lot of people who are taking care of their health today, and they're (laughs) on a lot of supplements. So the recommendation is stop the supplements for at least two days before you go get your blood draw, because you don't want to be testing uh, the supplement that you're taking. You want to see how your body is functioning without any support at all.
1: I try and I usually tell my clients to do four days before they stop four days.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I would not disagree with that. Um there are uh, some listeners though that I know they're they're gonna have the question of, but I'm taking something that I really don't want to go without. And so the least amount of time would be two days. I'd right. prefer I agree with you four, and I'd prefer even uh, <laughs> seven to ten days. of no supplements. And then that gives us a really true picture of what's happening in the body, Uh, not just the the water-soluble supplements, but the fat-soluble supplements.
1: Exactly. And we're also uh, going to include a download here for you in the the show notes. And this is uh, a place where you can see the functional ranges. You can also record your ranges for three months on each of these sheets. So- and it has every marker that can be run, it looks like. It's a great little cheat sheet. Thank you for is. Thank you for providing that. I mean,
2: Absolutely. Is it something
1: I, you put together?
2: Mm-hmm, yeah, I put it together uh, specifically for your listeners, because I felt like if they were going to uh, go out and get some blood testing done, they needed to have a place to record it so that they could start comparing. Um, you know, each test that they get. Right. And, you know, they've heard us talk about these functional ranges. Well, here is the entire list of functional ranges, and it's all based uh, strictly on Dr. Weatherby's information that he provides regarding functional blood chem.
1: Yeah, I love him.
2: I do love him too. Yes.
1: Amazing person. Mm-hmm. And I've got both of his books, Blood Chemistry and CBC Analysis, and, uh, the symptoms analysis with a, from a functional perspective.
2: Yes, right. and easy to understand.
1: Let's go through some of these common labs and give the listeners some insight here. Let's talk about vitamin D. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. The conventional ranges for vitamin D are 20 to 100 nanograms per milliliter, An optimal range is 50 to 100. Mm-hmm. Where do you personally like to see somebody's vitamin D?
2: um somewhere between the 50 and 70 range right. i'm pretty comfortable with that
1: right yeah that's I, i'd say that too I, I mean 50 to 70 is good also on this list i'm going we'll talk about a little bit of the vitamin d levels associated with the following health benefits of when you reach those levels so at 40 and 50 40 is where most reach max bone density so when we're talking about bone density you want to be, you know, you want to keep that number at 40 or above for sure. And absolutely, mm-hmm. 52, when you're at 52, is where breast cancer rates would likely to be cut in half.
2: Yes. And, and
1: 60 is where autoimmune begins to improve. Mm-hmm. Go ahead.
2: Well, I was just going to say, you know, vitamin D, uh, they call it a vitamin, but it is a hormone in a respect. And when we see what's happening inside the body we have to remember that the body is also extremely dynamic and tracking vitamin d this is going to be one of those markers that you want to look at the trend because you know it can come up to a certain level it, it can lower it can stay down low And there's always a reason for that. And that's one of the, you know, investigative properties of functional medicine to always ask why. Um, But, you know, you bring uh, a very good point here that if you are below a certain level, that can impact other areas of your health. And uh, I think that that's really important to understand that just taking a vitamin D supplement may not be the thing that raises it. Right.
1: Oh yeah, right. I mean, in vitamin D, I mean, I've I did it one on sunshine because it's a sunshine vitamin.
2: Well, it is, and it's based on uh, cholesterol. People with very low cholesterol levels, um, you know, they're going to have that's an impact on their um, steroidal hormones and being able to convert vitamin D. So, yeah, you know, there's a lot of interplay between all of these. And this is what I feel is the biggest purpose for these markers, is to be able to see what this interplay is between these different levels.
1: Right. All right, Let's go move on to... And then when you're over the 100 mark, starts, we're, start, we're starting to talk about toxicity in the body. Just wanted to throw that in before we move on to thyroid. Let's talk about thyroid hormones. We talked a little bit about TSH, free T3, free T4, and Reverse T3. What are some of the ranges here, Jennifer? Well,
2: a conventional range, uh, which has really been around for a long time, is the 0.40 for the TSH to 4.5. Okay. That's pretty standard. Now, an optimum range Um, specifically one that Dr. Weatherby recommends is 1.3 to 3.0. I personally have a tighter range than that. Um, I like to see it 0.5 to a 2.0. I know several places in Dr. Weatherby's information, he discusses that as TSH starts to rise above a 2.0, that's where we can also start seeing some more hypothyroid activity.
1: Okay. So above what? Was that 2.0?
2: Yeah, I just keep it between 0.5 and 2.0. Okay. All right, good. How
1: about
2: uh, free T3? Yeah, free T3, we're looking for, um, well, a standard conventional range is 2.3 to 4.2, but an optimal range is 3.0 to 3.5. Now, I would just want to point that out, that this little optimal range sits in between the two numbers in the conventional range that I just read you. So um, it's going to be a little tighter, a little closer together, more in line with what we would see in healthy people.
0: Okay. So that's
2: why we refer to the, these as optimal ranges.
1: All right, good. How about free T4? Uh,
2: free T4 is going to be a conventional range of 0.80 to 1.80. And again, just like I mentioned about how the the optimal range fits inside of that bigger range, this one does as well. So we're looking for an optimal range of 1.0 to 1.5. Okay,
1: and now how about reverse T3?
2: Reverse T3, Um, that is going to be a conventional range of 8.0 to 25. So that's up pretty big span a big window it is a big window yeah the optimal range though uh, is going to be um, more in line that I use is between 10 to 15 so we're looking at a much a smaller window smaller anything window. over 15 uh, is is gonna just raise a little red flag for me
1: okay oh, He's have 10 to 25 I- that's a big. That's still a pretty big window for optimal. It is. Yeah, I don't know if I like to see. I don't think I'd like to see twenty five.
2: No. Mm-mm.
1: I, um, I kind of agree with you on the fifteen.
2: Yeah, and you know, I base that fifteen on more information that I read from him. Um, so he does have a list of uh, lab values, uh, reference ranges, um, but I do believe that. You
1: know, he's updated his as well. Okay. So, uh, Let's see. Vitamin B12 is another one that's, uh, this is a biggie because this is a, a little bit of Alzheimer's. Maybe there's some levels here that will give us a, dep- a little bit more insight on depression, anxiety, uh, ADD and ADHD, fatigue, some numbness and tingling or nerve pain. And uh, so B12 is a biggie.
2: Well, it is, you know, and that list that you just read off, there have been a lot of studies done. Uh, A lot of doctors have found that um, B12 dysregulation can affect all of those things. And they've been found in each of those diagnoses. Um, We're looking, you know, for a really nice optimal range of B12 in the cell. The conventional range is 200 to 1100. The optimal range is 450 to 800. So that's a lot smaller, a lot tighter. And um, B12 is such a vital component uh, to keep our body functioning. You know, when we talk about our metabolic pathways, the B vitamins are cofactors in many different processes. And so being low on B12 is. Naturally going to um, decrease the ability for your body to function as optimally as it can.
1: All right, that's good stuff, good stuff.
2: Um, if you don't mind me adding, you know, we're, we're talking Absolutely. about the, the values um, uh, from a serum value to an RBC. So when you know these uh, these ranges that I just read to you just they're serum values. So there is another test that can be done. It can be done through blood or through urine, by the way, uh, the methylmalonic acid test, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is going to tell us what's in the cell. And it is uh, a truly accurate marker and, and truly accurate way of determining, well, where is that B12? So I see this on occasion, you know, where it's very, very low. And the serum could be high, you know, and so that's the discrepancy. And that is exactly why we need all the clues that we can get.
1: Exactly. That's a good point. You bring. That's a good point on MMA. I'm glad you brought that up. All right. Let's talk about I mean corpuscular volume. Well,
2: yeah. Now, see, that's a really cool serum way. To understand a little bit more about what the B12 is doing in the body, if you don't have the ability to run an MMA test, then you could look at what the red blood cells are doing, right. and that's going to uh, give you, and you know, just a, an average or or at least a clue into what your B12 levels might be. So the conventional range is eighty to one hundred, but the optimal range for this MCV level is 82 to 89.9. So anything over that 89.9 is going to be indicative of a a lower B12 level Mm. in a cellular space. So when you're looking at an MCV of 93 or 94, it very well may be that B12 is low in the cell.
1: Yeah, right. Exactly. I was going to say, yeah. folate or folate deficiency. But Let's talk about, uh, talk, let's talk about cholesterol because this is a biggie. And the VAT test, total cholesterol.
2: Total cholesterol is, I, I don't want to use the word random number, but it is a floating number. Right. And it is more representative itself of the three main components that people normally see on a blood test, which is going to be your LDL level, your HDL level, and your triglyceride level. Those three things, those three components are going to make up um, the total for your total cholesterol number. So that's why, and I, I just want to explain it that way. That's why it's more important to understand these individual components as opposed to just looking at the total cholesterol number and determining is it too high or is it too low. Um, that's not really going to give you the information that you need, knowing if it's high or low. You need to understand why. So usually, cholesterol numbers are too high. And, you know, we might look at the individual components. And we're able to determine that the HDL level is fine, the triglyceride level is fine, but maybe the LDL level is really high and LDL is associated with inflammation. So this is just uh, a normal action for the body. This is the the body's way of um, repairing. And uh, especially, uh, I've noticed this, uh, after any type of dental surgery, if you went and had blood work done, you'd notice a really high LDL. Well, that's because uh, your, your body is trying to repair the trauma. And so this is not anything out of the ordinary. Ah,
0: and then, point.
2: you know, a few very weeks later, LDL comes back down into range. So um, don't be fearful of the LDL. Use it as data. Right. Use it as a way to understand a level of inflammation in the body.
1: Yep, exactly. I'm glad you brought that up because I, yeah, that's a good point for the listeners because I would have I forgot all about that.
2: Well, and you know, a conventional range for total cholesterol because they don't, you know, we're not talking about the components right this second, but right. the uh, conventional range is. Down to 125, which I find an extremely low cholesterol, up to 200,
1: which is extremely high. I mean,
2: well, it's okay with me. I'm okay with that. Um, But an optimal range is going to start at 160 and go to 180, and 180 is cool. But again, we're not talking about the total number. Right. Total number doesn't mean a lot, you know, unless it's really, really high. But I want to understand what are those components actually doing in there. And I mentioned earlier about when we were talking about vitamin D, um, about the benefit of cholesterol. So if you have a very, very low cholesterol level, um, you are going to have an issue potentially with converting these steroidal hormones because they are dependent on cholesterol uh, in order to make them. So we're talking about pregnenolone, uh, cortisol, DHEA, um, progesterone—all of these uh, hormones that are, you know, we're relying on to work uh, responsibly in our body. Well, they can't do that when we don't have the amount of cholesterol that we need.
1: Good point. Uh, let's talk about blood sugar. That's another important one. I, I tried, oh yeah. To pick apart, I tried to pick the important ones.
2: Well. Blood sugar is huge. It is huge. I I can't even tell you how important blood sugar is. Not only from um, testing it, but using it as a way to understand what is happening physiologically in the body. So a conventional range for fasting glucose or fasting blood sugar is going to be 65 to 99. And that's over a you know a 30 point spread so that's a pretty wide range right i personally and i i agree with dr Weatherby on this uh the optimal range that he's listed is 75 to 86 right and that that's a great range in which to be
1: right that's uh, yeah, right i like this. i li- yeah <sighs> yeah i definitely like his ranges on this one as well
2: yeah, absolutely, and we see people with um, or clients they they will do um, you know a fasting glucose, and it it comes out ninety nine or one hundred and five on their blood test. So I just want to make a comment about that. Um, if you if your listeners are, are seeing this on their own results and they you know they're going to go get a blood draw, just be aware. That white coat syndrome, you know, being fearful of somebody drawing blood, being fearful of the needle, all of these things have an impact on your glucose level. Oh, yeah. So we can't put a huge amount of stock into what you're seeing there because it actually could be a little bit lower. If, um, if somebody cut you off in traffic right before you were turning into the, the blood draw facility, uh, and it really got you worked up. That will reflect in your blood glucose level when they pull that. So Very
1: valid point. Thank you for bringing that up. One also.
2: Mm-hmm. So that's just something you know to be aware of. Yeah. People who have a trend, you know, if they have three blood test results and they see that their glucose is all fairly elevated, like one hundred five, one hundred six, um, usually to that client, I'm going to recommend that they get a glucometer. And this is much like going and getting a blood test because the glucometer is simply a way to test their blood at home, test their glucose, Right. and it provides them data about what's happening in their own body. And that's what people want to understand.
1: Yeah, That's a good point. Let's talk about the hemoglobin A1C and fasting okay. insulin, and we'll move on to the last one.
2: Okay. Well, the hemoglobin A1c, as we mentioned earlier, is going to be an average over three to four months, the lifetime of that red blood cell. And the conventional range for that goes from zero up to 5.7. That's
1: a pretty broad spectrum there.
2: It is. It is. And I think on most uh, lab results, they even give you a breakdown of where they themselves will diagnose diabetes based on, you know, which level you have of the A1C. From an optimal range, we're looking at 4.6 to 5.5. Yeah.
1: That's a good, one. that's mm-hmm. a sweet spot there.
2: Yeah. Now, fasting insulin, insulin, it, Tells us so much really about what's happening, not only with the the glucose, but with the pancreas um, and what's going on with our food that we're eating. um, Delivers, you know, a lot of great clues. Now, the conventional range is 2 to 19, an optimal range, much, much tinier, much tinier, uh, 3 to 5. So I, I really would like to see that insulin be no, no more than five, but not less than three. Now, it can be very confusing because, again, I have to state this again. This is a huge range.
1: Right.
2: <clears throat> if your insulin, in a healthy person, if insulin is between three and five, how can 19 ever be good? Right. Well, it's a huge clue. You know, there is definitely something happening with the glucose um, regulation.
1: How about uh, ferritin? That's the last one I've got here, is, and this is another important one that we often.
2: Well, uh, it is ferritin um, is the partner to iron. Uh, it is the the form of iron storage. So. You can't just look at an iron level and really see the whole picture if you do not have a ferritin level as well. Um, So, you know, it could lead us to believe that there is an insufficiency happening there if we see a very low ferritin. Again, our job is not to diagnose um, or to look for disease. We're looking for these imbalances. And when we see them, these are the clues that you know, help lead us to find what might be happening. Right. Um, you know, the clients that have very low ferritin, low iron, they might experience fatigue, um, some type of weakness, could be irritability. Uh, one thing I always hear about are brittle nails.
1: Yeah, brittle nails and a funky nail too.
2: Yeah.
1: If yeah. somebody's got funky nails, it's usually... a. Indication of a ferritin.
2: Well, let me interpret your um your funky nail. My
1: funky, my funkiness.
2: <laughs> meaning, <laughs> meaning that there's usually a little bump in the end, and your nail might grow funny. Um, restless leg syndrome. Okay, yeah. not getting involved, you know, in any type of diagnosis. But we hear a lot about restless leg syndrome. A lot of commercials on TV about it too, and there is. Um, you know, some association that many studies that I have read online have made with um, insufficient iron levels. So that might play a part in this as well.
1: Yeah, that's a big one. And and it's uh, restless leg syndrome. I hear a lot of people complain or I've had a couple, I've seen a lot of people complain about restless leg syndrome. And uh, I haven't, I've reached out to them and said, hey, you know, get your ferritin up.
2: Well, yeah, it's definitely uh, an important Part of the puzzle. Yep. <clears throat> we definitely want to see that storage level uh, in a really nice position. So,
1: all right, Jennifer, I appreciate you so much for joining me today. There's a lot of Thank good you. information we put out. And is there any takeaways that you love to give love to give the listeners before we take off here?
2: Well, I just want to reemphasize. The part about, um, you know, we've always done things a certain way. We don't necessarily um, jump up and leave the house and go get blood work done, right? <laughs> so, what we're presenting is to some listeners, it's a really new way of thinking. Uh, it's it's new. Uh, and I can't tell you how many clients have come to me and said, What? I can go get my own blood work? <laughs> um, they're surprised. They're shocked. Right. So I know that, you know, it, it encompasses a, a large portion of the population that doesn't know that they can just go get it. But the other side to that is the reason why they should go get it. And it offers very, very good clues. So that they can, you know, they can go buy Doctor Dickin Weatherby's book. They right. can go get their blood drawn. And they can sit down and they can read uh, things about their own health. This is different than looking at this, you know, from a normal open reference range right. to looking at optimal levels for that individual, and that that's a big difference. Um, so, if you want to know about your health. Go get some basic blood work done. Get Dr. Uh, Dick and Weatherby's book. And there's going to be a lot of clues there for you to improve your
1: health. Yeah, that's a good book. It really is. I like all his writings, though. I I, I like his website's cool, too.
2: Yes, it is. Um, A lot of good information.
1: All right, Jennifer, one more thing. And I ask this of all my listeners. If Jennifer had an hour or half an hour to an hour to just relax. What album or artist would you listen to?
2: Okay. First first thought, 3 Doors Down.
1: Okay. That's a, yeah. I love 3 Doors Down. I do too. Okay, good.
2: They're not necessarily relaxing.
1: No. But, <laughs> but it's, I mean music feeds the body. It I mean, does. You know, it does. So, yep, it definitely is a uh, it's good. All right. Thank you so much for joining me. And hey Tom, taking thank the you. Time out of your day, and
2: no, nah, it was a pleasure. Mm-hmm. I, I I welcome any chance to uh, sit and converse with you about functional medicine.